Yes, reggae fans, this is Fully Full Word, and you're tuning in to the top ranking podcast sound, best sound in the world, so don't disappoint me. All right, you're tuned in to another episode of the top ranking reggae podcast. It's the show where you get to hear the stories behind the songs. My name is Glenn Holdaway, and I'll be your host. And today we have an amazing guest in the building, none other than Emsh, one of the founding members of the Subatomic Sound System. In our interview today, he shared with us his experiences collaborating with some of the most influential Jamaican artists of all time, including Lee Scratch Perry, Michael Rose, Elephant Man, Anthony B., and many others. Now, if you are a reggae fan and you aren't familiar with Emsh or Subatomic Sound already, these are definitely some names that you need to know. They are true innovators in reggae music, not only for their studio work, but also their groundbreaking live shows. On the recording end of things, they were the first to officially make the connection between dub reggae and dubstep. Fellow reggae historians, take note of this. In 2008, they recorded their first collaboration with Lee Perry, on a tune that would come to be known as Iron Devil. This was an extremely groundbreaking record because this song would be the first time that Lee Perry did a dubstep song. So think about this. This track features one of the fathers of dub, Lee Perry, doing a style that he essentially is the grandfather of since dubstep is in that dub lineage as well. And just to put this in perspective, this would be like if James Brown, the godfather of soul and grandfather of hip-hop, did his first hip-hop song and had it produced by DJ Premier, one of hip-hop's greatest producers. This is the level of collaboration we're talking about here, completely groundbreaking and genre-defining material. And also just the fact that Lee Perry did this at 72 years old just shows how he was always remaining at the cutting edge of music, and Subatomic Sound was right there, helping him push the boundaries of his limitless creativity. So definitely check out that tune, Iron Devil, for a seminal piece of reggae history. Subatomic Sound are not only pushing boundaries in the studio, they also completely reimagined how a live reggae show could be. Traditionally, dub albums, live bands, and DJs were all three separate entities, but Subatomic Sound found a way to bring them all together. They bring the production and sound quality of a classic dub record, but combined with the spontaneity and improvisational aspects of a live band. I've actually seen them live at the Cali Roots Festival, where they were performing with Michael Rose of Black Uhuru, and let me tell you, their live show is like nothing I've ever experienced before. On stage, they had Michael Rose singing, and a saxophonist and a percussionist playing as well. Behind them was Emsh DJing and running tracks. But keep in mind, Emsh is not just your typical DJ. He's also a producer, and he was using a laptop to run all of the individual stems into a mixer where he was doing live dubs the entire show. In the audience, it sounded like I was listening to a pristinely produced dub album, yet it harnessed the energy and power of a live show. It was truly an incredible show, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before from any DJ or live reggae band. So, now that you understand what a live show from Subatomic Sound is like, I'm sure you can see now why they were the perfect band for Lee Perry. For the last decade of Lee's life, Subatomic Sound was Perry's exclusive touring band from 2011 until his death in 2021. During this interview, Emsh and I talk a lot about his 10 years of getting to know Lee Perry. We talk about Lee's philosophical and spiritual beliefs, 
their tours all over the world, as well as the music that they made together. So if you're a fan of The Upsetter, you are definitely going to love this interview. So with that all being said, I think it's time. Without further ado, I bring to you my interview with Emsh. So subatomic sound system, we came up with the name as an idea that we were, you know, we we're making drum and bass and hip hop beats. And the guy I, I founded the group with was a, a bass player, played actually in a live dub band called No Shadow Kick. And he was in a group called Easy Star All Stars. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, he was the original bass player. Yeah. yeah, he's the original bass player. And before they started doing the cover albums that made them popular, like they were doing singles with... Um, you know, Sugar Minot and people like that. Oh, They're more you. focused on Jamaican reggae because there's a huge Jamaican population in, in New York, which is where we were based and from. He specifically spent his whole life there. I'd moved there from, uh, so, in like the 90s. Nice. So so basically, Subatomic Sound, you guys didn't necessarily set out to become like a reggae sound system or a dub sound system. Yeah. It kind of came from a collection of your guys' influences. Exactly. Like the influence of... Um, that music, sound system music on this other stuff we were into at the time because we were getting together in the 90s and the time um, in New York at the 90s, in the 90s, Giuliani was the mayor and he was Mm. really like hard on clubs. Like he started enforcing this like 1920s regulation that (laughs) said you couldn't dance in any venue unless you had what was called a cabaret license. Because apparently in like the 20s, couple hundred people were in a cabaret and a fire broke out and they uh, couldn't get out because they didn't have proper exits so people died and, and that, that was a legitimate problem yeah. so they put some ordinance in at the time saying okay if you're going to be a cabaret you have to pay for a license which just me- meant like zoning and stuff like you know sure that yeah. was okay right but what they did is they started to use it just as a way to crack down on like nightlife. Sure. That was kind of a long story to say what started to happen in the nineties into the two thousands is that people started to get pushed out to do things in, um, underground venues. And there Mm. was a lot of, um, they'd have these parties and, um, there'd be a lot of cool, like art and sculptures and like stilt walkers and stuff. But then there'd be, you know, in different rooms, one, one room might have like a house DJ. And then at a certain point, like a marching band would just come through. (laughs) And then, you know, we would be in another room or even like outdoors or on a rooftop doing what we do. And like I said, when we started out, we're playing different music and what i found was like the reggae especially kind of like dub and dance hall was like really captivating to these crowds that were actually not even reggae crowds so you know that was another thing it was just there are a lot of things that sort of kept nudging us into like reggae more and more and and dub and um it wasn't like it was a conscious decision so much um i would say maybe like the biggest turning point that like flipped the switch was like 2006 or 2007. I linked up with a band from Austria called Double Standard and they they were doing some touring in North America and they had asked me to play guitar for them because I think they couldn't bring like the whole band I see. over. And um, when we were driving around in the van, they were playing me uh, tracks from a, an album they were working on with Lee Perry called um, Return from Planet Dub and, and they're they're cool. and. Um, I had been playing them a bunch of productions I was working on that were more like 
drum and bass dubstep type stuff and they're like yo you need to do remixes of some of these lee perry tunes we're doing in in that style so um i ended up doing that and that like opened the door to working with lee perry and once that happened it was like okay now like okay now we're doing reggae for real because we're working with lee perry even though like he was into the electronic stuff we're doing it was also like, well, we can't work with Lee Perry without being a thousand percent like legit and hardcore about the reggae side of things. Even if we're going to do some other electronic tracks, we've got it because he's the guy who created this whole thing. So yeah. we've got to do that, that side justice, you know? Wow. Yeah. For me, it's like, I just, and specifically with dub and reggae, there's like a, a spiritual component and we're starting Definitely. to work with like Lee Perry he always said that he was like that was the problem that's what ruined reggae was people's egos guys he said specifically like singers he's like that's why i got into dub he's like singers egos were (laughs) ruined reggae and (laughs) and the business all the people the the business of music that's why he like got his own studio started his own label yeah and um like lee perry always talked about his inspiration for creating as it's like sounds of of nature he took those ideas from god and you know it's like the thunderclap and the you know the earthquake and those sorts of things are like he was trying to translate those into music yeah he had like a really interesting cosmology sort of beyond like the typical rastafarian um religious connection it's more like christianity plus you know acknowledging Haile Selassie as like a a return savior beyond that I felt like he had an almost eastern concept that he had added into his whole spiritual outlook on life which was kind of like the divinity of all things and nature he used to talk about spirits being in you know all the plants and the rocks and he talked even about how like music these days it doesn't have as much spirituality because the instruments people are using are not made from wood and all that the trees and the wood had its own spirit that would resonate and be communicated when people would like interact with it. (laughs) One thing I learned playing with Lee Perry is how seeing people's reaction at the shows when we would play the more like major happy songs or he was he was comedic at times too. He could be like people look at him like this spiritual shaman but he was also like a jester you know like he's he's funny you know and there's not a lot of people when you look at like the history of music who are comical in their music and taken seriously you know there's yeah. like a dude like a, a weird al yankovic or something he's just a, a satire <laughs> or, or yeah right he's just he's just a clown and that was the thing like the Lee Perry was such an interesting dude in so many ways, but that was one thing specifically. I noticed that he had, you know, he'd do the dark spiritual stuff, but then he could also be funny and be making people laugh. And it was like when you play these major sounding tracks, it was like, you know, the sunlight. It was the dark versus the light and that contrast. And that's, you know, he instilled that. I could see how he instilled that in other artists and like Bob Marley especially because Bob's music too has that that balance and so much of that stuff they wrote together like you know when you look back at their catalog so much of the bob marley stuff that came out on you know even his last (laughs) albums were songs that he had already done with lee perry like 10 years before they just kind of re-recorded them and you know did them a little differently as you know the sound evolved but he just had that in him and i think that's that's one of the things spending a lot of time around him too is like recognizing the kind of stuff that he instilled in bob marley and bob marley's music who everyone knows worldwide you know like it's incredible like the longevity and the reach of that music and to see how scratch 
his role kind of, you know, the role he played in the creation of that and the, the creation of who Bob was in a certain extent. It's also like, yeah. Yeah. Man, there's so many amazing things we just touched on. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I feel so inspired even just hearing all this. Like, I, I'm obviously a trumpet player, and Miles Davis is a big hero oh, of man. mine. Yeah, me and, too. And I've heard Miles, like, when I read his book, he would talk a lot about what Lee was saying, like the sounds of nature and being inspired mm. by that. And, and Lee even taking it a step further in terms of, like, you know, everything is a vibration and, and all these things beyond our human comprehension, like vibrations everywhere, everything is made out of vibrations and how is music affecting that and also what was interesting too you said like music kind of being like a fountain of youth and lee being someone who's deeply spiritual yet also funny and you know people always say like laughter is the best medicine yeah. so someone like lee who's healing people with his humor and healing people with his music like i feel like it's all kind of connected there too and um and, and then you talked about bob marley and how lee kind of like had that dark edge and then still like that positive thing. I think of like one of the most famous songs together, Sun is Shining. Like the uh, lyrics, yeah, like if you yeah. hear, if you read the lyrics, Sun is Shining, Weather is Sweet, you think it's gonna be this happy song. Yeah, but it's like yeah. so minor and dark and creepy. More, it's yeah. like, <clears throat> whoa, like how does that work? You know, but I kind of see the dichotomy there. It's like balancing the happy or the funny with like the serious, like, and I talk about the environment that they're in too in Jamaica, like yeah. the suffering and all kinds of things that they were going through. You know, it's yeah, all, it all comes together, man. like all of these different dichotomies, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, so many I, things. I was just thinking that as I was driving down here today, um, how reggae, you know, I drove by a traffic accident on the way. I saw like an ambulance there and some people, you know, getting taken care of. We look who were in a lot of pain and, oh, I, you know, what just happened with that insane flood in Libya with, you know, like one of the worst disasters of our era like natural disasters like all these people who just like wiped out it made me think about yeah the environment in jamaica one of the crazy things about jamaica is how it's like this paradise that's also had like a really brutal history of slavery and colonialism like terrible things have happened there to yeah. people but it's also this place that's like so special and like magical and, uh, you know, how people like Lee or Bob, you know, they're living through that every day, you know, and even to this day, you know, people recently, you know, you guys like the mighty, mighty diamonds, uh, getting shot, yeah, you know, man. it's just like, there's a lot of violence happening to people, you, you know, innocent bystanders, just people's like losing their lives, but then people are able to make music that's expressing joy, like, you know, sadness and happiness live like side by side yeah. every day in our lives and some people see you know more of it than others you know some people are seeing both of them all the time side by side and you know that's something i'm not gonna say it's like unique to jamaica but like jamaicans see a lot of that and i, I think there's a certain hi buddy <laughs> <laughs> there's a certain um element of experience i guess experience teaches wisdom and like there's something deep that comes through in a lot of music from Jamaica because of that. Even sometimes when the topic is lighter, you know? Yeah. But yeah, sun is shining. That's an interesting song too. I'll tell you, that's one of my all time favorite Bob songs, that original recording that Lee did with it. And, uh, I've never asked Santa Davis about this, but I've got a gig coming up. I, I somewhat ironically, it's, uh, going to be a benefit for HR from 
bad brains oh, wow. and he's playing drums i'm t- dubbing some stuff out and uh supposedly when they recorded it it was a day where um lee didn't want to pay the band um it was normally you know like family man and you know his brother the barrett brothers it was uh, you know that's who were the the upsetters in the early 70s um and uh you know i think they were harassing him asking for more money for sessions and so he went and got soul syndicate to do uh the session so they were the ones who recorded on sun and shining and supposedly lee walked in during the session and just picked up the hi-hat from the drum kit and walked it you've heard yep, that story yeah santa too. told me that yeah he did tell you okay <laughs> yeah. so he told you yeah so like get rid of that thing i don't like it He's yeah like, what? okay <laughs> and so it's like very interesting too that that song um has no hi-hat like yeah. the rhythm is totally propelled so by the guitar and the organ and I never noticed it actually until I read that account of the of the story in Lee's biography. And then I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I've listened to that song so many times. I've never thought that that was missing. But it's also like, it's kind of one of the like genius things about his approach to things. Yeah. So like take away things that you expect to be there and add things that you don't expect to be yeah. there. And it creates like, um, you know, just creates an, a- an atmosphere, you know, and I think that's like one of the things that was also amazing about him is like he just challenged you on doing things like the way you thought you should do them. Mm. He challenged himself. You always want to change things, always want to like revise things, yeah, you know, and like again, why separate from say like reggae and the music of jamaica he was just like a specially unique character is like he was so creative and so driven to like the last day of his life to be just creating if not music he was working on like visual art like his boots and his hat yeah he's constantly evolving sculptures and yeah yeah. so yeah that's yeah i I love that story about you know the sun is shining session and um (laughs) soul syndicate those guys are kind of like mentors for me yeah and um you know, they've told me all kinds of stories like that. And and one thing that I've always loved about playing with them is, you know, we'll play like a song that they've recorded from back in the day. Yeah. And, we, and you know, sometimes we'll play it like, I, we play the same, the same rhythms for years, you know, but yeah. no matter how many times we play the same song, it's always different. Those guys are really? always creating. Wow. Like there's always something that they're doing yeah, different yeah. and it's always spontaneous. And I feel like, that's something that Lee Perry really personified as well. Like yeah. he never just wanted to do the same thing over and over again. It's always so spontaneous. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I actually wanted to ask you something. So I, I was hearing an interview with you at one point and, um, one, and you made an interesting point about Lee and he was almost as comfortable, like destroying art as he was making art. Yeah. And I yeah, thought that that true. was so interesting. I was wondering if you could elaborate more on yeah, that. Yeah. He just had like no reservations about, uh, you know, spent a bunch of time, making something and then just just destroy it like it was nothing and move on to the next thing and it was like he didn't place too much value in you know what he was doing and it was also like a certain confidence that he was like i'll just make something else great yeah i'm just because that's what i do he was more about like the process yeah i remember one time i someone you know, he always had a thing. He had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about like his singing because all, you know, even his nickname, Scratch, was like an, it was sort of an insult because he had a song called Chicken Scratch that yeah. became a little bit popular. But I guess, you know, people told him, oh, it's like you can't really sing and you're corny. So other artists were called, you know, 
just started calling him Scratch, like almost to make fun of him that it was like one hit, like it was some one hit wonder or something. Yeah. And so Coxon never, you know, he was always like the talent scout, but it was never really letting him sing besides maybe that one song. And so he always, wa- you know, wanted to do more singing. And a lot of people would criticize him, especially as he got older for singing off key and stuff. And I remember he said to me one time, he's like, I never sing a wrong note. I sing like the note, any note I sing is what Ja told me to sing at that time. And if it sounds wrong to someone, it's just because I'm, I'm, if I didn't sing that note, then maybe I wouldn't sing the next note. That's like the perfect note. And I feel like that is, that's how he reached like his genius moments or created great things because he just never stopped. He had no fear of doing the wrong thing and like people not liking it because he was like, I'm just, yeah, I'm just constantly experimenting and, and all these failures, eventually I'm going to do something that's, that's perfect because I'm going to find what I'm looking for. I'm just like searching. And that was like, uh, that always stuck with me, you know, like that idea that he was just, you just keep looking until you find it. And he, but I think he was, a lot of times people don't know when they find it. Like that's one thing I realize as like a producer. A lot of times Mm. I think one of my things that I'm good at is when someone hits some, you know, comes across some idea that's good, I can recognize it and sort of like, you know, build off it. And, um, you know, Lee was able to like recognize when he did good things, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, even if he did something good, like we would do a show and he'd be like, I remember, I mean, we've been playing f- for a few years and then he, he was starting to get really happy with like how the shows are sounding. He would be like, that was, you know, that was perfect. That show was perfect tonight. He'd be like, remember that, or I want that recording or you, you record the show. Like, yeah, give me that recording. And, uh, but then he would always be like, okay, but tomorrow we're going to do something different. Yeah. That was perfect. But we're going to do it different because it'd be like, well, if it's perfect, yeah, but maybe we could, you know, it was perfect in that moment. But yeah. Tomorrow we can do it perfect for that moment. Yeah. He has said to me, like, I'm never going to sing this song the same way twice because yep. it would be dishonest, you know? Yeah. And wow. uh, so it's like, I, you got to do it how you feel at that moment. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, that's, and that was challenging to his audience. That was one of the things about him too, that I learned, like, I don't know. It was like an insight that it was just, he was, uh, he was challenging for his audience. You know, a lot of times people would come up, uh, come to shows ex- expecting, oh, this is the guy who like, you know, top Bob Marley or was a producer. They expect like a Bob Marley show and they wouldn't oh, give him that. Yes. <laughs> and he wouldn't even sing any lyrics of any of his songs. Or maybe he'd play, he wanted to play the same song like multiple times yeah. in a row. Sun is Shining especially was one he'd be like, Sun is Shining. And I was, I remember thinking like, oh, you know, I first started worrying, oh, is he going senile? Does he forget that <laughs> he we played the song? And then I realized, no, it doesn't matter. He's not, he didn't forget. He just feels like Sometimes it. he would forget. He'd be like, oh, did we play it already? He's like, I don't care. Let's play it again. Yeah. <laughs> and then we play it and he'd be like, right after him, let's play it one more time. Yeah, yeah. Just be like, okay. Yeah. He's just like, it's a vibe. I'm feeling the vibe. So, you know, he just wanted to have that, like that feeling. And if he felt like if he was feeling it, other people were feeling it. Yeah. Which was like a, also like a key to his shows. I realized one of the important things with him was like, not to be afraid if it was turning into a train wreck because he was always in that searching process and that there was always almost always i mean maybe there's some shows that like word didn't go well the whole time but in general it was like even a show that seemed like it was going off the rails he would then like hit a moment where it was just like 
you know it was like it was like finding the resonant frequency of a room or something where just all of a sudden everyone was on that same wavelength and you know you'd see like people crying or like you know something where you're just like wow like i didn't i didn't see that coming i thought like this was a disaster (laughs) and all of a sudden it's like almost like this spiritual moment and yeah. people would have that and i don't i i can say i like don't see that in many people's shows yeah know? and so that was like the thing that was unusual about him it wasn't like you came to hear like him sing your favorite song yeah. the way it was on the record because you're never going to get that <laughs> you're coming for something else like almost this performance art that was unpredictable that you're going to have a moment that was either like you know i don't know something just connected with people whether it was like happy moment a sad moment or something it was just gonna have like that moment that people yeah. were gonna walk away and be like yo that, that and it's unique to that moment only only you know yeah man. yeah man that's so amazing like it's it, it's so funny because I'm, I'm hearing so many connections between the way that he thinks and the way that miles davis thinks yeah and and like because they're so innovative and like a lot of people would have that same critique about miles like we want to hear you know kind of blue and he's like doing some other crazy yeah he's on to the next thing yeah i i will say like miles davis was a huge inspiration for me and i used to think about that i remember saying that to some guys i was in a band with when i was younger like i was like i don't i don't care if we you know get popular now or in 30 years as long as like we're making music that's like amazing and continues to evolve and i remember the other guys in the band one of the dudes was like oh hell no yeah i'm I'm not doing this (laughs) like i got yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know i I remember thinking like yeah miles davis that was amazing that he just kept like pushing on to the next thing and trying to dig deeper into music and go you know back into like african roots and different rhythm finding you know different rhythms and just broaden the whole like sphere i also heard a story about like um one time i don't know it was like someone's complaining about like when coltrane when his it was in his band about like (laughs) him soloing or going on too long and miles said to them like nah just let him do his thing he's searching he's searching for and i and that like resonated with me too because i was like yeah like that's the thing like i feel like people even in our group like troy who plays sax with me and larry mcdonald percussionist like scratch like that that they were all people who would just like go you know he would like sometimes like to play a song for like a long time and he'd like to let you know let the sax solo he'd want the percussion just go off and and come up with like ideas it was yeah he liked people who were like searching for something and not just like you know even when we started playing with him at first like it was like oh we're wary of him like kind of trying to dance around him but then i learned i because i played with him with a couple different groups i was like you know what he doesn't want that like yeah actually like the energy i was getting from him was like he wants to be surprised he wants yeah to feel like other people in the band are going doing what he's doing you know and um i had seen him perform with other people before i performed with him and i was like disappointed by the show and it was kind of one of the reasons i was inspired when i had the opportunity to work with him i was like man i want to make the show that like i wanted to see that i didn't get to see when i went to see him and like that was one of the things that was very rewarding is like how many people after shows or over the years would just reach out randomly and be like man thank you like you know i've come to lee perry shows before and uh i came to this one it was just like this was what i was always like hoping to get yeah i got i got to see the lee perry show that like you know i was hoping to hoping to see so you know 
in that sense, I felt like we did we did scratch justice by yeah. um, giving him a platform to express his creativity in a way that like people who loved him felt it. You know that that was like important to me. Yeah, you know? yeah, I love what you mean about like the searching and 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 like you said, not a lot of bands or artists are willing to do that on stage because it's no. safer to just do exactly. yeah it's safer and and, and like and most and of the when, crowd wants it quite frankly yeah, most exactly. of the crowd wants you to just play the thing they came to hear yeah exactly <laughs> and and like and if you're searching like you don't always know what you're going to find you know like yeah. you might dig inside yourself and see some some weird stuff yeah. or like or there might not be anything you're like oh man like you know like yeah. I don't got anything right now and then but then you have to keep looking because it just seems like that. And then eventually, like you said, there'd be those moments when it's like, yeah. there it is. You yeah. know, like if you're willing to stick through those things when it's like things are getting weird or it's not quite going yeah. the way that you want to like let go of that. And and that's and that's what it's, it's so interesting because I think like what you said about Lee, how he interprets mistakes, because I think that a lot of times people, maybe they'll start to dig and they'll like, you know, things will start to go wrong and they'll stop. They're like, oh no, like this sounds like this is bad. Yeah. But it's like, that's not because if you're viewing it as a mistake, then that's that would be what stops you. But if it's not a mistake, it's just something that's, you know, it's just something, it's just yeah. an event and you just keep going and going and eventually like you get there, you know, that reminds me of a story. Herbie Hancock is, yeah, uh, I was just thinking that yeah, Miles. about Miles saying, yeah. Yeah, I had this wrong chord and I was so nervous that Miles was going to like glare at me, but instead he played a note that made yeah, that my chord suddenly chord. make sense. Yeah. And it tied it into the song. And I was like, wow, that's yeah. like, yeah, that's it right there. You know what I mean? Like, I was just talking to um, someone the other night. Actually, dude plays uh, bass. Marilow plays bass with Jack Johnson. He was talking about how, um, you know, a lot of the old blues artists, people typically think, oh, the blues, that's just like this 12-bar pattern. But he was saying, you know, a lot of the, like, most popular blues artists, like, they didn't stick to that pattern at all. Sometimes they just stay on a chord for however long and yep. it wasn't until they felt like changing and the band would the have floor, to like yeah, <laughs> yeah like k catch when they were going to do it or feel when they were going to do it and make the change but it was like you know when things become too structured or, or, or predictable they become boring you know yeah like um loses the 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 heart yeah so that's yeah that's that's like i i've you know one of my favorite things is like backing jamaican artists and and yeah. like a lot of people when they like if they're not familiar with it it's like you know what do we do because it's like the song seems so simple it's like okay real rock bum, 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 bum. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay you know like they're like anyone could play that but it's like the art yeah. is like you have to be inside the artist's mind like all the band has to be on the same page right right and like tuned into that thing you know like that it's hard to explain but i think what you're talking about, I, I really am relating to it because mm. I've had those experiences where it's like, yeah, they they can might just sing whatever they feel like for however <laughs> yeah. long, and then all of a sudden, like, you just have to know when yeah. when it's coming without right, them right. saying anything. So you really just have to like open yourself and be a part of this, right, right, this right. thing, and like, and the whole band is like on that page, and it's yeah. such a like when those moments happen and like everybody's on that same thing and it all hits together, like it's some of the most powerful musical moments i've i've ever had yeah. like far more than like we just go and play something really tight and like that's awesome too it feels yeah, really yeah. gratifying to do that when everyone's like really tight and rehearsed right. but it's it's a lot different than the feeling of those spontaneous moments that just happen when everybody mm. is like opening up themselves to like the possibility of of who knows what you know yeah. of the moment so yeah like that and i think that's a big difference to me but that i've noticed between jamaican reggae and like american reggae or even modern reggae in general yeah like old school jamaican reggae to me 
like when I'm playing with those artists, like the vibe that I feel is like much more spontaneous and just like mm. open to whatever. Whereas like now it's like a lot more tight and rehearsed, which is great. And like, I think there's value in both of those, but it's right, just a lot right. different. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a different approach. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, in all those things, it's like if you can find a balance of them and then maybe you hit like the something perfect, you know, find a yeah. balance. But sometimes yeah that's missing it makes me sad a little bit it's missing in a lot of the newer music on you know all, all around the world because as like i have traveled to all kinds of places and see yeah. people making reggae that's one of the things that's kind of amazing to me too it's like we played this festival in poland with lee and it was like reggae is hugely popular in eastern europe countries where people came out of you know being under like kind of these totalitarian like you know communist uh, post ussr type situations and wow. uh you know a lot of economic uh, or political turmoil that that was going on after that and they're like super into reggae for for those reasons yeah know? and so yeah it's 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 interesting to see how like reggae culture resonates you know globally across like africa you know even up to russia i went to uh performed in russia at one point and i remember meeting these guys that someone linked me up with to do a, um uh like perform with and they uh couldn't really speak english but they could sing like songs i did <laughs> back to me and i was like oh wow this That's is crazy trip. and someone like translated like yeah they're telling they they've got like your 12 inch record in like <laughs> russia i had no idea how it could even have reached there we didn't have distribution or yeah. anything so they're like, yeah, they've got this record and they love this song. Like, wow. respect the foundation. It was a tune I'd we'd done as like a remix of uh, Lee Perry's like Blackboard Jungle and I'd Jadan Blackamore singing on it. And that was like his hook, which is actually a funny, like looping back to what we talked about earlier. It was funny because he was going to record a verse on it and he we were like checking the mic and I was recording already and he just sang like, respect the foundation. I, uh, and... I was like, yo, what was that? And yeah, was like, yeah. And he was like, what was what? <laughs> and I was like, that thing. And then I played it back to him. He was like, oh, shit, are you recording? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yo, that's like the hook of the song right there. And he was like, yeah, okay. So he put that in. And then that was funny because that's what these Russian dudes like sang to me. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, that's wild, man. That that yeah. music like reached all the way over here. And like these dudes are singing I, I remember I called Jadan. I was like, almost like brought a tear to my eyes. Like, yeah. yeah. That like, you know. Yeah, man. A lot of amazing things in there too. <laughs> like, you're talking about new releases and, you know, before we wrap up, I'd be remiss to not mention your new version of uh, Dub Organizer, which I had oh, the man. pleasure of jamming with you yeah, the other day. Yeah, yeah, And um, you did an amazing job with that. And, um, you know, I want to give you the chance here to talk about what you have coming up, what you're working oh, on. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what else um you know what's the the future looking yeah. like for you guys thank you man well um the past year we did um a handful of shows with michael rose which is yeah. how you and i met actually um hanging out backstage talking to him and um before he jumped on stage with revolution yeah. actually which was like interesting to kind of see that you know i didn't know those guys were into him like that so that was that yeah. was cool to see you know that that cali roots festival we never played at that before oh, so really? that was an interesting thing for us yeah i don't think scratch again like that was a good example of somewhere where maybe people wouldn't have got what he was doing so much <laughs> and yeah. so it was cool to get a chance to do that with michael but we recorded a whole album and we're doing some touch up 
on that. I mean, I don't know when people will listen to this podcast. Who knows? It might be it oh, might be man. out by then. But um, yeah, a, a lot of like the sets we were doing there were uh, some of his old tunes, but based on some of the new stuff we'd done yeah. with him. And um, so I'm excited about that because like he um, through um, a dude he works with it. They like reached out to us, you know, after they saw like scratch. We weren't working with Scratch because he had passed. Mm-hmm. About doing some things with Michael, and that was like, yeah. The more we like dug into that, it was very cool because um, you know he's got a real interest in Ethiopian culture and that whole heritage and musically that was one of the things that we really delved into with kind of tracing the roots of reggae and scratches music and horns and percussion back going back to Africa and especially like Ethiopian melodies and Troy is really into that on the saxophone and so we're really like digging into that with Michael and I look forward to trying to get that um finished and get some um you know some other people involved we've been talking to holly cook about doing some oh, nice some things and involved with that and some some other stuff um uh yeah you know we did the that recently did that project with jack johnson which is almost like the opposite side of the coin which what he does is not really reggae at all but influenced in you know in his roots he's in being in hawaii really into that music and he'd reached out to scratch about doing these dub remixes which we were involved in and then got kind of involved i mastered the whole album for him and stuff like that which was kind of a crazy challenge for me because it was like all different types of mixes and a lot of people who are like heroes of mine like scientist and mad professor who had done mixes on there so wow trying to make the whole thing sound like great and consistent and also thinking like wow this is a really incredible chance to expose like a whole audience who's never heard of dub before probably to dub um which you know i think it was probably for some of his audience you know weird but uh, i was actually surprised how many people i mean i can only anticipate but i i know it was actually really cool to see how much of his audience was like oh this is crazy like i love lee pair i can't believe i'm hearing like dub versions of jack yeah. johnson songs such a like oddball thing so it's yeah. it actually kind of exciting to me to see that and then you know jack had brought us on tour with him in in europe and that was wow. another situation where i was like man, I don't know. I hope his fans don't like boo us off stage or something. I just, we're not, you know, we're doing something totally different, but it was like the opposite. We got like wow. some of the best reception ever. I don't know if it's just like, he's such a nice person yeah, and his yeah. fans they're are like the open. nicest people that they're just like open. <laughs> they're like, yo, if Jack says these guys are cool, we're in, we're all in. But also I realized, you know, it's like we were playing places like Germany and Amsterdam where people are just like, they're really into reggae, you know. Yeah. Um, they do, you know, have huge reggae festivals and places like hamburg where we played and it was like specifically that song we did um the remake of least least scratch Perry's the dub organizer is what we call like the version we did yeah. with scratch doing new vocals and screechy doing these vocals and so we had like crowds all over like singing that song back to us who had never even heard it before and so it was like actually a really amazing experience and jack and all his guys were like so supportive so you know we've been talking to them about doing some new new stuff together too which would be cool um, and then just like we'd done a whole tour with just Subatomic with Screechy, it, it, that's who was singing with us when we were on tour with Jack, but then with um, Stephen Marley. And so out of all those shows, we got a bunch of new music with Screechy I'm working on. And of course, you know, we've got a ton of stuff with Scratch that's unfinished. Like we wow. had a bunch of new tunes that um, 
uh, I need to like go back to. And it's kind of like I, after he passed, like I just wasn't ready to like dig into it like that. Yeah. I needed a, a yeah. pause. We'd worked together with him for so long. And, you know, a lot of people were like just kind of rushing productions out, yeah. throwing them out, just capitalizing on it. It was just, I don't know. It gave me sort of a weird and bad vibe, like seeing it's it's weird when you have like a personal relationship with someone who's like such a massively known public figure because you know you got certain feelings about the way people are like talking about them or dealing with them or manipulating their yeah um their name or exploiting their name in retrospect and it was just like man i i, I didn't want to get into it with with um people so to speak i just i just need my own we need our own time to step back and sort of process it and heal because you know is it's, it's like it should have been a surprise that uh, someone who's 86 years old died but it's also like i did have that feeling that like scratch was eternal you know yeah. like every time we saw him and he showed up i almost it, it got to the point where i wasn't even surprised anymore that it seemed like he was almost younger and more like vital and more like <laughs> excited to go yeah. on stage he was like getting younger we would just wow. start joking about it so you know that it was like kind of it was still a shock even though you know it was still a shock but anyway we definitely have like albums worth of stuff with scratch so wow. we'll dig back into but you know i i really want to do those right you know because it's like that's going to be the last stuff we put out with him you know we did the one song the lee perry's the double organizer we've got like a whole we had done an anniversary tour for the blackboard jungle dub album and we'd recorded all of that um it just needs to be kind of pieced together but um i just wasn't in the right like mindset to do it yet but I, i'm looking back into all yeah. these things that's kind of what i'm into right now after we just f did all this touring over the summer i'm super thankful for the chance to get to do that and now i'm like getting getting down to it in in the studio and awesome, all these man. different things you know so hopefully by the time people are hearing this will be like all this music will be appearing you know the stuff with michael rose hopefully some new stuff with scratch new stuff with screechy you know awesome new man. stuff with jack yeah well i'm i'm really excited to see what you guys got in store man everybody <laughs> go check out dub organizer subatomic <laughs> sound and yeah if this has already come out and you know all those things are out check yeah. that out too the album with michael rose that's gonna be yeah. epic man. and you know there's all these like social media sites but like subatomic sound.com that's our website yep. actually trying to overhaul that after like <laughs> much ado but it's like that and our mailing list that's still the best way to like stay in touch because you never know what's going on with these other with the shenanigans on these like <laughs> social media sites but yeah we're like you know subatomic on instagram subatomic sound system on facebook i mean you're still on like twitter or whatever they're calling that now, <laughs> subatomic sound by the time but this thing comes out it'll have another who knows name, yeah. man yeah yeah or won't exist yeah <laughs> so yeah man but thank you it was great yeah man great talking and i always love to talk about this stuff it's just good to talk with music you know musicians you know I mean, we've talked before but it's just like yeah it's cool to do this hopefully some other people will hear this and get some ideas about things you know that's we we recently did this thing on kxp where it was like a live performance but there was a long interview afterwards i was surprised how many people actually like listened to the whole interview we we're going on and on about various <laughs> subjects and have like mailed me questions or things like that it's cool that people are are listening and i guess you know we've been at this for a minute so um you know hopefully the stuff we're talking about beyond just the music that we're making people can listen to is gives people some, some insight into something that will maybe help unlock in their own brains like 
you know things they're trying to figure out yeah yeah it's like we said earlier man it's all connected you yeah. might not even see it yet but it's there yeah so, thank yeah, you very much man. appreciate it yeah no doubt thank you all right that concludes my interview today with emsh I hope you enjoyed. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Spotify, Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, check out our Facebook page. Tune in next time for more interviews with your favorite reggae artists and band members. My name is Glenn Holdaway, and thank you for listening.